Hey, good day, Lincoln. How's it growing with you? Hope you're having a great Wednesday so far. This is How's It Growing, your weekly garden connection only here at KZUM Lincoln. All right, happy Wednesday. It's a gloomy day out there, kind of drizzly and a little light rain, kind of more of a teaser rain, right? I was hoping we'd get more out of this deal, but it's not looking likely, folks, right? Anyway, this is supposed to be moved out of here, and I, the sun's supposed to be shining around midday. Yet today, a little milder out there, not uh, winter-like morning low, at least this morning. And uh, I think we're going to be okay. You know, I follow Ken Dewey on Facebook. He's a uh, retired climatologist with the UNL, does great uh, weather reports, and he usually looks two weeks out to see if there's anything on the horizon. And I'm thinking... Uh, according to Ken, we're probably okay with the official are we past the freezes for the year. And it's looking likely. I mean, we're going to still see some lows oh, in the 30s uh, coming up next week and whatnot, but uh, nothing below 32. So the point is, is it's not going to freeze. So, um, you know, you can certainly get started with your vegetable gardening. And if you haven't already, uh, man, it would have been great to do. Prior to this little bit of rain, in fact, I sowed uh, some things on Monday evening, a nice evening to sow some seed, and so I worked up the soil, sowed the seed to four different little areas, uh, got three plots of lettuce and uh, one plot that includes a couple rows of uh, purple kale and a couple rows of arugula because we love making arugula pesto. That's good stuff. So that's a whole lot of arugula when you do uh, two six-foot rows. (laughs) But for making pesto, man, you need a lot. But anyway, uh, now is the time, uh, again, with the the weather forecast not being, not that you couldn't have sown your lettuce when when it was dropping below freezing, but still, um, I think we're A-OK for you to start doing those types of things, lettuce, radishes. I like saving my turnips for fall. I don't know why. It just seems like you get a longer season. In the spring, it's like, yeah, it could be cool, but then all of a sudden it turns hot too fast, and those turnip greens don't like that. But, hey, teach his own. I just like the the the, the fall crop for turnip greens. But, anyway, kale would uh, be a great one for you to plant right now. Hopefully... Uh, you plant kale every year. If you haven't yet and you're new to gardening, my oh my, let kale be one of your first crops because it's so easy and pretty darn forgiving. <laughs> Once you get it established, it's pretty darn drought tolerant, but, uh, you know, it takes a lot of water uh, just like uh, your lettuce does. And the way I handle watering is just uh, not about duration. It's about frequency. So I, I give it a little spot of water. Literally, uh, as I'm sowing the seed here, uh, pretty much every day uh, if not the morning the afternoon when I get home from work I just give it a quick little three minute spritzer if you will just to kind of keep that uh, new seed bed moist and not let it dry out too much in between waterings right and then uh, you get faster germination keeping that soil uh, moist and plus I like to use old potting soil mix to cover my seed because it's so easy to use that old potting soil mix because it's fine and it's uh you know it holds moisture when you do get it wet but it does dry out faster than the garden soil around it but another advantage of using that old potting mix to cover your seed is it's highly aerated you know so you're not going to cover if you happen to cover your seed too deeply because i think that's always what holds people back is well how deep do i plant the seed and of course it just says just under the soil well 
what is a quarter inch, right? How can you measure a quarter inch or an eighth of an inch or whatever? Using that used potting mix works really slick because I just make a little um, furrow in the, in the parent soil and then sow my seed into that little furrow and then top that seed with the old potting mix and just kind of sift it between to the palm of your hands. I'll kind of have a bucket with me and then cover my rows. And man, I was able to get those four areas done literally an hour and a half. And that's tilling, tilling the soil. My soil's so loose now, I can just use a tile spade and just kind of work it back and forth. And then I use my feet to actually break those little clods up into small clods. And then I use a straight edge, like a one by two, maybe about four feet, five feet long. And I use that to create my furrows or my rows rather than trying to use your hand or whatever you might use. Man, a straight edge works really great for that, especially one by two. And you kind of work that one by two back and forth. So when you're pulling it up, you have a nice furrow that doesn't kind of cave in on itself. And usually around a half inch deep is perfect. But then if you put your lettuce seed in there, your radish or whatever, again, how, you know, it's kind of hard to put that soil back, especially if you have a lot of little clods in that soil, are you going to get good soil to seed contact? Well, maybe not. That's where the used potting mix comes in. Of course, it doesn't have to be used. It can be fresh potting mix. And just sift that over the top, just about covering that furrow. And then uh, I water it and all of it kind of caves in on itself. And uh, boom, you are set. It's such an easy way to do it. And uh, I'm telling you that that bed prep is key having all those little clods broken up so uh, you have a nice, what we call, friable soil. So again, what you're after is good soil to seed contact. So if you're not into lettuce season and uh, plant lettuce every year, my oh my, are you missing out, especially the leaf lettuces. The go-to for me is black-seeded Simpson, but uh, man, there's a lot of other varieties too that we, Rocky Top, we're growing this year. Oh, and some impossible Italian name I can't pronounce, but uh, anyway... Lettuce is a fun crop to grow, and usually, if the weather's good, you can get three cuttings off of it. So you're swimming in lettuce during salad season, and it has a very long shelf life. Okay, I'll shut up about lettuce now and tell you about today's show. Today's show, Barbara Salvatore is calling in here in a little bit, and we're going to be talking about our ongoing series, Plant Stories, Life Medicines, and it's spring, spring has sprung. So it's time for spring greens, and we've been talking about them off and on, but uh, looking forward to hearing Barbara's take and things she loves to collect is spring greens for food and medicine. So stick around. Hope you're going to enjoy the show. Looking forward to chatting with Barbara. It's been a, gosh, it's been a couple months, I think, already. Um, <clears throat> anyway, next week I have Kristen Hain on the program from Land Escapes. We're going to be talking about spring landscaping. How dry is it, Kristen? <laughs> we'll be talking about that. Yeah, so that's that's coming up. And then I, after that, I have uh, Molly from uh, Southern Heights Food Forest. And we're planning an event at Southern Heights Food Forest. I'll tell you more about it in the coming weeks. But for now, um, you know, we're going to have a wild edible potluck. So how fun is that? And that's going to be at the Southern Heights Food Forest. Uh, let's see. Let me pull up the 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 map here or the, the, the calendar yeah, that is going to be on a Sunday, May 15th. So um, mark that on your calendar now. Basically, it's going to be after the church service there. I think it's going to start around 11 or noon. I'll let you know as I get more details in my brain. But right now, May 15th, a wild edible potluck. So keep that on your calendar if you're out there collecting wild edibles. Do keep that in mind. We'd love to see you there. 
and uh, share your bounty and share your feast at the Southern Heights Food Forest. And we'll be talking with Molly about that in a couple of weeks. So that's coming up fast. So let's see, in a couple weeks, we're looking at May 4th already. So yeah, it'll be like a, oh, a week and a half before the event. So uh, just wanted to let you know about it so you can mark it on your calendar. And we'd love for you to make something, but if you're, you know, you don't collect or you're not out there doing it, but you want to learn what does this stuff taste like and blah, 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 you can certainly show up and uh, you don't have to bring anything, but we'd love it if you did. Okay, dokie, uh, let's see. Yeah, and then... Uh, you know, right now with, uh, you know, landscaping out there, a lot of landscapers are, are putting wood chips down. And, you know, I was at a lady's place yesterday working and uh, really nice to hear that they use leaves as mulch. You know, a lot of times we're hauling off 60, 70 bags of leaves, you know, on the driveway. They're hauling it off the dump. They're making compost out of it, whatever. But you should make it a goal to say no leaf no leaves, no debris leaves my property. I'm going to find a way to use this, whether it be my compost bin or using the leaves as mulch, maybe even mulching areas that become weed problems for you to kind of keep the weeds at bay, you know, smother them <laughs> with with really deep leaves. But yeah, with that spring cleanup, man, try to make it a goal that uh, nothing leaves your property, anything organic you're using and, uh, you know, we can have little wild areas in our property. And that's what they're saying that would really help uh, biodiversity in, in urban landscaping is kind of leaving some wild areas. What does that mean? Kind of a, a brush pile, if you will. Um, and I know brush piles aren't the prettiest thing to look at, but they can be smaller, right? And you can also use those cutback materials, um, you know, to kind of create a little mini culture, if you will. Your culture doesn't necessarily have to be wood, right? It can be mounded gardening where you're burying the stems of last year's plants you cut back that are kind of woody stems, you know, um, things like that. You can always bury that, and, uh, and of course, that's going to hold the moisture. That's going to, you know, provide benefits for your plants down the road as those plants degrade and decompose down in the soil. Good stuff, Maynard. All right, I have a call on the line. Barbara, hello, is this you? Can you hear me? Good morning, Bob. Can you hear me? I sure can. Awesome, awesome. I, I'm still kind of, when I, we've got new phones here around a month ago, and, you know, I'm still a little, I don't know why I'm apprehensive that I'm doing it right, but <laughs> when you when you only do this stuff once a week, you kind of forget, right? You know? So. Mm-hmm. Same with computer technology. If you don't keep uh, doing it, it's gone. <laughs> no doubt. And, uh, yeah, I usually ask for help there. And uh, I know mo- enough to be dangerous, but... Uh, yeah, I don't know very much about it. And I don't want to know anymore, really. Uh, but I'd rather somebody just show me. So anyway, <laughs> well, thanks for calling in today, Barbara. Uh, man, I was talking earlier. I think it's been a couple months since I've had you on the show, right? Yes, it was February. February. Talk, so I'm happy to be back. Happy yeah. spring, Bob. Yeah, happy spring to you. And uh, my, oh, my. And, you know, I don't know how dry. This is Barbara Salvatore. She's an author, an artist, and an herbalist from Little Verdigree, Nebraska. And how is Verdigree doing? Well, I mean, are you guys like dry as a bone too? I mean, I, I think your part of the state is one of the drier parts, if, I, if I'm correct. Yeah, we're just asking everyone for rain prayers. We need so many prayers. Right. <laughs> so much rain we need. And, um, you know, I don't know what this climate effect going on now where it just seems like these high winds blow any and all moisture away like the forecast will say 40 percent chance 60 percent chance and the winds come and it just misses us so 
it's been a really dry year, like all year, not just this spring. Yeah, uh, annoyingly dry, you know, and, uh, you know, the panhandle would always laugh at us out east and say, you guys don't know dry. Come on, man. I'll show you dry. Uh huh. Well, anyway, well, well, thank you. Thanks again for joining me today. This this being the fastest hour in radio, we're we're continuing our ongoing series, folks, called Plant Stories, Life Medicines. And Barbara, before we get started, you have compiled our la- our past shows to make it easy for our listeners to to look up and listen in. Correct? Yes, it's available on oh, my website. I know that a lot of them are available in the KZM archives, but. These go back till January of last year, and it's on bighorsewoman.com slash events. Awesome. Yeah, so you can go listen in and, and uh, learn about more plants. And I challenge you folks out there, you know, if you, know, you, you hear this stuff, we talk about it. But really, until you make it a goal and you go out there and actually do it, you're just going to be wondering. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're going to be wondering, does it work? And I know I've asked you before going, how do you remember all this stuff? And I think, and, and you're right on, once you use it and it worked, or like say you're using a plant as medicine, whatever, um, yes. and it worked, you're like, it's it's ingrained in you. You want, it's kind of like, don't take, forget. yeah, you don't forget because it worked. And then you want to pass that knowledge on to your friends and then, the, then of course, strangers as well, but especially friends, right? It's like going, oh, you just had knee surgery. The best teacher, <laughs> and when you can tell a story that people will remember rather than just facts and bits and pieces about a plant, they will remember and it'll drive their curiosity too. And once they experience it, then they'll be taught. They'll know. Amen. And that's uh, that's why we call it plant stories because every plant definitely has a story to tell. Some of them centuries in the making, <laughs> right? You yes. know. So oh, yes. Yeah. They've evolved with us, but alongside us. No doubt. So, Barbara, have you been out uh, doing any foraging here already this spring? I know being in Vertigree, you're probably a solid two weeks behind Lincoln, if not three. Um, That's are, is, about right. Yeah. Is anything coming up yet in your neck of the woods? Slowly and reluctantly. Right. I know that when I have been out there, quote unquote, weeding, um, everything has really tough roots, and I think you know that's driven by the fact that everything is so dry; they're just hanging on for dear life. Mm. But um, I do have violets cropping up. No flowers yet, but the leaves are all unfurling, and I see the first signs of primrose and uh, dame's rocket and phlox. Uh, uh-huh. Catnip. My cats have helped discover. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Always. Yeah. bulbs and shoots her up so uh-huh. yeah there's uh-huh. always something out there yeah well you mentioned some plants that would that we're uh, going to find time to talk about today and and we we have quite a list here folks and uh, you know we'll try to, we'll try our best to get through them all and uh, because again you could go out collecting today and tomorrow and the next day and find something different to collect it gets you out and about in nature to kind of leave the stresses of life behind and we're kind of innately gatherers, right? Hunter-gatherers. And so yes. we need to get back to being the gatherer. All right, Barbara. Well, let's, let's, let's kick things off. And I think one of the plant groups you wanted to talk about are the cresses. And folks, that's the, the cresses are C-R-E-S-S-E-S. Uh, you can Google it. Uh, basically type in wild edible cresses, right, is one way where people look up what does this stuff look like, right, Barbara? Yes, and uh, the botanical, they're in the Brassicae family, B-R-A-S-S-I-C-A-E, mustards and 
presses and such. Bob, did you want to hear my spring poem? Yeah, let's 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 invite in spring uh, with your poem. I I was looking at it earlier and I was like, oh man, that's perfect for spring. Let's, you know, I, I like how you said earlier. Uh, am I going out foraging? Well, things are reluctantly coming up. So spring has yes. sprung. So yeah, please read us a passage, a, a poem. What what is this from? This is from the third book in my series, The Trail, and it's called Spring. Spring. Magnolia and dogwood blossoms, willow catkins, cottonwood down, tulip trees, fairy wands, butterfly weeds, skunk cabbage, watercress, onion grass, marsh marigolds. Spring! Creeping green in everything, running, sinking, soaking, welling, swelling, throbbing, pulsing. Spring! Stirring, whistling, singing, preening, puffing up flocking over, humming by, flying past, charging, barging, spring. That's great. I, I, I love it. Pulsing, throbbing, you know, charging forward, right? That's great. Yes. <laughs> That's so great. on we go. On we go. And winter, you're not going to stop spring. It is here and you're not going to, you're not going to keep uh, these plants at bay forever. They're, they're waiting to come out and, yeah, we just need some rain to help that along. And uh, so, yes, do your rain prayers for sure, people, and and we'll get through this together. Well, okay, so one of the things you mentioned in your poem the, was, was cottonwood down, and it got me thinking of, you know, right now, I don't know if you've harvested this, Barbara, and I know this is a little off of what we're going to talk about, but have you ever harvested cottonwood catkins before? I've nibbled on them on the trail but haven't really harvested them, but I have harvested the buds which like poplar buds make a really nice salve. Yeah, balm of Gilead. Uh, oil. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I did I I I've never tried the catkins and there's actually recipes online. I was oh gosh, let me go to this website quick. Uh they're rich in vitamin C that can be eaten raw or added to soups. Um this person considers them more of a starvation food, but you might find a delicious way to prepare them. I like that. I was like, that's what I was curious. I mean, what do they taste like? I mean, are they kind of like... They're they're bitter. Yeah, gotcha. Crunchy. Crunchy. And, you know, in other words, if you're out there on the trail and you're hungry or thirsty, you know, it's something and else to eat. to your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. Well, this one person talks about uh, making uh, a fritter batter and dipping them in batter and, and, and frying them up. So, hey, why not? I guess you dip anything in batter. Shoe leather would taste good, right? So, you know. <laughs> try anything once. Try anything once. Well, I was just curious. But, well, anyway, let's let's get back to cresses then. And, and being in the mustard family, so uh, looking up cresses, I came across, there's one called watercress. And... To be honest with you, Barbara, I don't know if I've ever bumped into watercress in the wild. Do you see it up in your neck of the woods a lot? or? Oh, yeah. Um, on the farm where we raised our children in upstate New York, we had a frog pond full of it, and we almost lost a horse who climbed into the frog pond and got chest high in muck. <laughs> we oh, my. Out. Yikes. But he was, he was going after the watercress. A lot of livestock and birds love it, and it's a really good spring nibble for them as well. But, um, yeah, it's very spicy, loaded with vitamin C, you know, just adds flavor and color to anything, whether it's eaten fresh or blanched or um, you can even dry it and then use it as a seasoning later. 
a plant that's so water moist like that, one thing that's good to do with these spring greens when you dry them is to then salt them Hmm. or mix them in a spice jar with a tablespoon or so of salt. And that helps to dry out any residual moisture Uh as well as, you know, make for a nice seasoning when you're, you know, pouring, sprinkling it over steaks or pastas or salads. But you typically see it growing near waterways, or is it a? It's not a floating plant, right? It's growing along oh, the edge. No, it 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 does float, Bob, and mm. um, you know, it's also a measure of how clean the water is. That's what I was wondering. Um, yeah. You wouldn't necessarily want to get it from a place where there's a lot of that duckweed and algae. Uh, uh-huh. um, but it does help to clean the water and purify the water, and naturally it pulls in anything that's in the water so you want to make sure it's a clean water source. That's kind of what I was wondering too. It's like I don't know quite honestly if I would trust. I mean you like you say you'd have to have that special water source where you know nothing's coming in here and mm-hmm. where the heck is that at? Uh, which is unfortunate to say. Uh, you know. Oh, UNL is currently giving out free water tests if you go to Conservation Nebraska. Anyone can sign up for a free water test. It's mailed to you, oh. and you can send back samples and find out what is in your water. Cool. Well, that's that's important, right? <laughs> well, yes. so, so tell me. May 1st. <laughs> so so, and I know uh, this this is reminding me of Kay Young's <laughs> book, Wild Seasons, which we've talked about on the show before. It's a good reference guide, folks, for foraging uh, in Nebraska. Yes. And uh, the first plant she talks about is watercress because it's one of the first things to emerge in the spring, correct? Is that that right? Gotcha. And it's so green it pops out on the horizon even if you're far away. I see, I see. Well, I have to become more familiar with it so I can identify it. And, you know, is it easy to identify? Like you say, it's it's one of the first things up, right? And so you can use that as part of your ID and then then narrow it down from there. But I'm online, Barbara, and I'm seeing uh, uh, another one called hairy bittercress or... Yeah, what, what is the difference between watercress and hairy bittercress? I don't know a plant by that name. Is it a ground plant or a water plant? You know, um, I recognized it when I, because I just typed in wild edible cresses, right, to see, okay, is, how many cresses are there out there, right? And then that one came up, and I'm like, oh, okay, I wonder if she's familiar with this one. This is the... Oh, I'm, I'm just looking on my technologically savvy computer, and I see it. Yeah, and this is yeah, this is a ground plant, and actually, I know this as field crest is what I call it, and it does grow rampantly on farms and in disturbed soil. So, I mean, when I go to visit my horses on the farm, from the minute I walk out the car door and everywhere on the farm, it's a nibble on the way to the barn. Interesting. You can eat those delicious little white flowers. The seeds are edible. Uh, you know, young leaves are edible. And it, you know, just a daily source of vitamin C that you wouldn't get elsewhere. Too cool. And, you know, honestly, for me, I, I recognize it more as a greenhouse weed that, you know, it, uh-huh. it, it, it gets, yep. it loves seeding around. It must have one of those pop and shoot seeds uh, that, that spreads from container to container. And yeah, I've, I had no idea it was edible. A number of years ago, um, a foraging friend of mine, Nancy Scott, was there and she starts p- plucking it and eating it. And I'm like, huh. What is that? Nancy Scott. Yeah, do you know Nancy? Friend? 
have to meet her yet. <laughs> yeah, she's cool. And and anyway, so yeah, she's there snacking uh, while she's shopping for plants in the greenhouse, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. And so <laughs> yeah, it loves disturbed soil. It'll pop up anywhere where and and you know all of these mustards and cresses have long shafted seeds that pop open like a bean pod and will sprinkle and spread anywhere. Oh, boy, which reminds me of another greenhouse weed that we can also um, enjoy springtime, and that's sorrel, right? Is that yellow sorrel, or what is the common name that you go by with that one, the little... I know it as wood sorrel. Okay, gotcha. And it's like a four-leafed clover-like leaf, mm-hmm. and it, it, it was one of the first plants I discovered as a child because you could be out on the playground or walking in a pasture, and it's very common everywhere. It's actually got three little leaves shaped like little hearts and a yellow flower. The flowers are also edible, but, you know, they're just a really good munching. You know, if you're thirsty, they sort of quench your thirst and the sourness of it. Some kids don't like and will spit it out and other kids will gobble it up. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you're right. That's funny because I, you know, if you're listening out there going, oh yeah, I remember snacking on that. Little pickles is another name for it. The little seed pods, you know, you can eat it. It's like, a, and I'm sure there's people go out and collect them and actually pickle them. More power to you because those are mighty tiny pickles. But, uh, but yeah, it, it's more of a, a grazing plant, right? Wouldn't you call it rather than going out and harvesting a bunch of it? Well, yeah, because of the oxalic acid, oxalis, that, um, you know, they warn you about that in spinach and other plants, yellow dock that we'll talk about also. Mm-hmm. You don't want really high levels of that because it will cause nausea. But, you know, in edible grazing amounts, it's perfectly safe. And you can also, you know, mix it generously in your salad to mix with other flavors it's citrusy makes an excellent garnish yeah it is tasty the the flowers are pretty and of course edible and it's one of those plants along with the the cresses where it's it's just fun to snack on something in front of somebody that has no idea what you're doing and they just they kind of look at you with this you know one eyebrow raised going hmm do you just yeah do you just eat things like because it's there, I'm like, well, yeah. no, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, I have a new family that moved next door from a city in Oregon, and when they come into my yard now, the little girl will tiptoe everywhere because she's afraid she's going to step on something. Yes. I'm like, can you eat that? Can you eat that? Yes, 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 yes. Right. <laughs> she doesn't know where it's safe to walk anymore. <laughs> That's too cool. Yeah, you know, I know I'll know we will have arrived when you can go to a restaurant and they have the wild edible salad on the menu. Um, yes. We will see if that ever happens, but it'd probably be the most nutritious salad you've ever had. Um, and that's the beauty of these spring greens is they're just all highly nutritious. So, so Barbara, okay, so we talked about wood sorrel. We talked about um, some watercress. And uh, let's talk about, I got to take a break now. I'm going to keep you on the line when we come back. Let's talk about some of the mustards, right? Because I'm not as familiar with those. And I know, I think it's in the mustard family, the Dame's Rocket, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I need to introduce myself more to that plant as something that I just loathe and pull out of the garden, right? Oh, gosh, I love it. And also just to comfort people, kale and broccoli are other brassicas. So you know that they're all highly nutritious if they're in that family. Yeah, good stuff. All right, so we'll talk about some mustards when we come back, all right? Okay. All right, folks, you're listening to Barbara Salvatore, an herbalist from Verdigree, Nebraska. You can find information there at bighorsewoman.com. And I'll be back right after these brief messages. 
All right, a little prying to bring us to the next part of How's It Growing. Thank you for tuning in today, people, and hope you're enjoying the show. Barbara Salvatore joining me today. And Barbara, um, I have to ask with our Plant Stories Life Medicines, how is the book release coming along? So Big Horsewoman, a three-part book. You got Maggie and The Trail and Big Horsewoman. How is it coming along? Well, I'm so excited. I was actually up till 3 in the morning, and I said the final, final, well, we, we keep calling it the final, but this, this was called the final, final, final exclamation point. <laughs> edits. I love it. And I'm really happy with how the book looks, and I'm going to have a galley copy in hand this weekend at the Nebraska Writers Conference. So I and others will be the first to see it. So Too both cool. of the books will be released in May. I can actually say that now. Yay. That is exciting. Yeah. And I did, uh, you can go online and do a pre-order. Is that correct? Yes. If you go to bighorsewoman.com and scroll to the bottom of the page, um, you put in your email and you get a 40-page sample of each of the first two books to introduce you to Maggie and Big Horse Woman. Awesome. And I also have to mention, Barbara, I know, um, I think you're involved with some sort of event at the Kimmel Orchard. Can you tell us about that? Oh, yes, that's in June, I believe. Um, I might be mixing up dates. I think you're right. But it's, it's called Pheasant Fest, and part of the day is it's going to be featuring plants that pollinate, I mean, pollen, pollinators or pollinators. Oh, pollinators, uh-huh. And uh, insects that are pollinators and, you know, the relationship between the two. And we're going to have a weed walk and sample some teas that are easily forageable and learn about how they benefit the pollinators and us. That's cool, because Pheasant Fest, uh, put on by Pheasants Forever, I'm imagining, Pheasants and Quail Forever, you know, that organization does yes, a lot of great conservation. Yeah, gotcha. Yes. And that's cool that they're including that as a topic, you know, it just shows you how how popular it is, folks, that everybody wants to learn. I, I did a wild edibles hike in Wilderness Park, Barbara, the last well, couple weeks ago, and... Uh, you know, we cut it off at 50 people. I, I think there was right around 50 that showed up. So, and, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and all different, uh, you know, a, a wide range of ages and, uh, you know, families even showed up, you know, moms and dads with kids. So that was really cool to see. And, uh, yeah, it just shows you that people want to know. They want to learn. So I appreciate yes. your time introducing us to some of these things. And, again, folks, we, we talked about field crests watercress so far uh let's see a, a wood sorrel those are three things of course if we can get to it we have to mention nettles too of course it's a nettle season and it gets mm-hmm. its own season right <laughs> so yeah uh, we'll net- talk about that but to stick with um dame's rocket yeah um that was what we were going to talk about next and both dame's rocket and wild flocks look similar they're both edible the flowers are delicious especially garnishing salads and they make a salad look so pretty or putting them on crackers with cheese or Mm. spreads or whatever Mm -hmm. but um james rocket has four petals and it was introduced like as early as the 1600s and now it's rampant on the edges of woods and as you're driving along the highways in nebraska in spring you'll see these tall plants with they range between white and bright fuchsia pink mm-hmm. and they are very common in large groups but those flowers are delicious the um, seed pods are yummy the leaves are yummy and the olden days they used to say that 
they cured freckles if mixed with vinegar. <laughs> really? That's funny. Oh, yes. And they're good for stings and bites, even of serpents. Mm. So, you know, you can chew them up and put them on mosquito bites or bee bites or wasps or anything venomous will help draw out the sting. And so this time of year when the plant is just emerging, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's a biennial, right? It, it, so the first year, or is it just an annual? Yeah, the first year it's just a rosette of okay. leaves close to the ground. The second and third year or third year it'll put up a that flower stalk. Gotcha. So, you know, those early rosette leaves are also edible. And if you don't get flowers the first year, you know, you don't need to weed them out. You can leave them to stay by choice. Yeah, exactly. They're not going to hurt anything because if you're worried about them seeding around, well, they're not going to do that their first year. They're just going to put out a, a, a tuft of leaves. And can I, are, are, do you typically harvest that early tuft of leaves and, and, you know, take something from that and then let the plant come up and form the, like saying, you know where it's at, right? And I, I think yeah. what you said earlier is, is key you know, how do I know where it's at? Well, you pay attention when it's in bloom, right? And then you kind of know where a patch yes. is that you can hit mm-hmm. next spring when it's emerging and kind of have yes. a, a second season, right? Yep. And, you know, you can always go back to Google and look up images of the plant to verify, um, you know, nibbling and tasting them. You'll know for sure from the spicy flavor. And, um, you know, when you go around nibbling, you don't take the whole rosette of leaves. You'll take a few leaves from each little plant mm-hmm. and, it will continue to grow. And that's the same, that's true of like the field mustard and the cresses and any of those other wild mustards that grow. Yeah. The first year might be just a basil of leaves that you can still eat. Would you say then the, you know, obviously identifying characteristics is it's easiest, like with the wild mustard you mentioned too, that's when it's in bloom, it's like, oh, okay, this is mustard. Otherwise, you might kind of scratch your head and go, well, I'm not exactly sure. Um, pay attention to it if, you know, leave the plant there and then go back to it and you say, okay, this has flowers on it now. I can definitely tell what it is, right? Because that's, that's going to be kind of yes. your final ID characteristic, I guess I'm trying to say. But yeah. Yes. Okay. And like we said earlier, experience is the best teacher. And, you know, mustards will even come up if there's snow on the ground. And, you know, it, all of these plants I encourage people to try because, you know, our blood and our whole systems are sluggish from winter. And maybe we haven't been eating the freshest of foods. And all of these plants help to fight scurvy and, you know, pirates and people coming from across the ocean. And settlers would always you know, thrive on these and cure scurvy and give them a blood cleansing effect and vitamin C up the wazoo. So, you know, these are really good plants to introduce yourself to in early spring. And those yellow mustards that a lot of farms, you'll see fields of it just growing um, because they will take over a field and you you know, the horizon will just be this yellow mustard field. It's wow. Beautiful. Yeah, and so just know also there could be a yellow field of yellow clover, right? So you got to, uh, to tell the two apart is pretty easy. And, it's, and yellow clover, yes. like you said, if you sample it, you're going to know pretty quickly that this is not the mustard green. I'm, I'm assuming yellow clover is edible as well, just not going to be as tasty as a mustard green. And, of course, it's not going to have that zing, right? That, it's that a spicy bit zing. Bigger. Okay. Yeah, but I encourage people with any plant, when you look it up, also click images, and then you'll just get a screen full of photographs of the plant. 
Heck yeah, and I think you you can even take pictures of plants now, and it'll identify it for you. Don't trust that a hundred percent, but still, it's a mm-hmm. it's another feature you can do to to help uh, uh, alleviate any you know doubt that you have and doubting yourself. And the best thing to do is hook up with a friend that knows this stuff, and then they'll teach you. And that's where it, it all comes about. Is then we get out on hikes together and learn together, and that's fun fun and again I, I appreciate you talking about dames rocket last year it's definitely on my bucket list this year um to get some of that and i appreciate you talking about using it uh, you know kind of your martha stewart moment and you're having guests over and you know you want some edible flowers for your salad my oh my right you can have mm-hmm. violet flowers maybe some uh, um Dame's Rocket flowers in there, maybe some yellow mustard flowers, some wood sorrel flowers. Dandelions. Dandelions, all sorts of fun stuff you can have in that salad and make it look very pretty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good yeah. stuff. Okay, Barbara, so uh, let's see, it's about 20 till. Let's talk about, there's another plant you had on your on your wish list, and that's uh, wild onions, chives, and you even mentioned ramps. And I'm curious... Ramps, I I can only dream about because I belong to a wild edibles group that's a, a national group, and so you you get images of people harvesting stuff in anywhere USA, and uh, a lot of them have been uh, posting pictures of their ramp harvest. And I'm curious, do you have ramps up in your area? Because I don't think they're native in in our neck of the woods down here in southeastern Nebraska. I don't think we'll find them, right? But no, I never have. They were very common in New England and upstate New York. And, you know, the, the caution these days is because they've become so culinarily popular in restaurants and, you know, with individuals that they're getting sorely over harvested. Mm. So most people who are conscientious and most herbalists advise, if you find a ramp patch, take at most one leaf from each plant. Mm. No more digging the bulbs, which is the delicious juicy, strong flavored part of the plant, but just don't anymore. Mm. And, um, you know, if anything, if you're going to dig up bulbs and spread them to new places so that they have a chance to redistribute themselves, but in general, just hands off (laughs) is what most herbalists are advising now. If you want the flavor of ramps in your food, just pick a leaf from each plant and walk away. Too cool. I've I've ordered seeds before and tried to grow, and I can't remember what I did wrong or I did something wrong. Didn't get very good germination, but I did see somebody post Ponca State Park, folks, which is in the far northeastern corner of the oh. state. They yeah. grow wild in Ponca State Park, which kind of like, and I and I suppose if we looked it up on the map, the, the geographic distribution of ramps, which is an allium, folks, uh, one of the in the onion family. I think allium. Yes. T-R-I, Tricocum, or I can't remember the comp, the scientific name. But anyway, I was like, oh, so it is native. But it basically stops, my guess is it probably stops there in northeast Nebraska. doesn't get any further west in the world. And it, like you said, goes all the way east to upstate New York and probably into Maine, I'm sure. Um, and, and down south into places like Tennessee and Kentucky, the Appalachians, right? It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a common plant east. But I'm curious... Has anybody ever grown it uh, to try to, you know, so we don't have to worry about over harvesting in the wild? And you said the bulb's probably the best part. Has anybody tried to grow this plant commercially or whatever? And just I would have to research that to know. But, you know, they like to grow in moist woods Mm -hmm. and um, hidey holes. So 
So, you know, it's sort of like with morels and other delicacies, people who have ramp spots don't necessarily share them. Right. <laughs> and also people who profit from them and go out digging them to sell to restaurants and farm markets, um, over harvest them with seals. Mm. So, you, you know, you have to keep that in mind. Yeah. If you a- can grow it yourself and come up with a crop, that would be great, Bob. Right. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be doing that anytime soon. Maybe my next lifetime I'll get on that one. But uh, yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know. Well, but uh, homework every time. <laughs> yeah, and I there's some sort of big festival that happens over in Italy, and it's like the the wild onions they go harvest, and they'll actually uh, steam them. Oh gosh, it was uh, Anthony Bourdain was visiting. Uh, it was either Sardinia or somewhere like that, and they had this this whole time of year where they go out and harvest these things and have you ever seen anything like that or know the well wild chives um wild onions you know that was another one since the time we were kids we could go out and graze on those and they look very similar to the kind of chives and onions that we plant in our gardens and again nutritious yummy for kids or anyone to get vitamin c and flavor so if, so if I see an onion looking chivy looking plant out there in the wild from what I understand Barbara all onions all ch- all alliums are edible uh, some are a little more yes. palatable than others you know yes. you know some might you might taste and go Ugh. you know uh, it's still edible that doesn't make it poisonous but uh, palatable is another thing <laughs> yeah and they have like a tube hollow stem and um they you know if you do find a grove of them they're usually pretty abundant and like I said, they look very similar. And also, all these allium plants are one of our nature's antibiotics. Mm. And they are good for colds and flus. And, you know, recipes like fire cider always include onions, garlic. Cool. And the vampire, uh, you know, the, the myths about hanging a string of garlic or onions over your door to keep vampires away wasn't totally untrue because it keeps bad germs away, protects your home and hearth. Gotcha. Well, okay. That. Uh, all right, Barbara. All right. Uh, before we move on, uh, let's see. When we come back, uh, do you want to talk about Doc when we come back? I would love to. Okay, great. And then if we have time, or do you want to throw in Purslane? That was another one you had on your list. Do you want to talk about Purslane for a bit and then Doc or Doc first? We'll, we'll talk <laughs> about Doc and segue into Metals and Purslane. Okay. So we so have time. I think, sure. I think we've got this. We definitely got this. All right, okay. Barbara, I'll be right back then. All right, folks, you're listening to How's It Growing right here on KZUM Lincoln. Barbara Salvatore from Vertigree, Nebraska, bighorsewoman.com. On the line, we're our monthly installment of Plant Stories Life Medicines. Hope you're enjoying the show. I'll be back right after this. Giddy up, little doggy. Oh, that music gets you moving. That little bow thayer there bringing you the last part of How's It Growing? How's It Growing with you? Happy spring to you and happy spring to you, Barbara. And uh, man, I, that was I had a long, um, one of the shows or parts that I sh- played during the break there is uh, this week in Lincoln. And uh, man, when COVID was around, all they did was say, you know, nothing going on. Well, they didn't quite say it like that. But now, mm. and now there's just all sorts of musical fun happening. And one band I had to point out was uh Igor and the Red Elvises at the Zoo Bar tomorrow night. Man, oh man, if you've never seen them and you want to feel good about life, 
check it out. You'll have a lot of fun. So much fun. And it sounds, the name just sounds intriguing. Igor and the Red Elvises, does it not? (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's it's very interesting. You want to show up just to see what they look like. Exactly. It's it's fun. And uh, yeah, he's he's a a fun, fun uh, performer, that's for sure. And a great band too. Okay, Barbara. So uh, yeah, this being the fastest hour in radio, let's talk about one of your favorite plants, I think, and uh, a plant by many names. Um, we'll call it yellow dock, but it's also called sour dock. I think there's uh, mm-hmm. curly, curly dock. Curly dock. Mm-hmm. They're all the same bird, right? Um, actually, there might be a variety between the two, sour dock and yellow dock, but um, I, I really can't tell the difference. Some right. of them have a wider leaf and curlier leaf. I have a quick a passage of Maggie digging a dock root, if you want me to read that to introduce yeah, people to it. for sure. Um, dock root dream. Maggie breathed onto her cold fingers to warm them as she worked her way through the hard earth digging the root came through, slow talking. In the early morning light, you will see the yellow core, the strength of sun and earth, the new moon, restore power of blood, pump strong your heart maggie pulled the first thick root from the ground sinewy brown with tightly twisted skin she scraped away the moist dirt inhaled the smell of clay and shook it clean soaked it in water and rubbed it dry with her skirt as she carefully sliced it down the middle the smell spoke to her dry us slow over warm coals or outside shaded when the sun is strong we will live in your stews and brews in your medicine in your blood whenever strength is needed doc root will help you inside out and through renew cleanse and soothe that's that's okay so you're saying according to your passage there that uh, the root, because I, I, I'm not familiar with that, so the root can be used in soups and stews. Have you done that before? Yes, I have. And, um, you know, to encourage people to use a yellow dock, whether it's the greens or roots or seeds later in the fall, it is one of the highest sources of iron in North America. And as a tincture, um, you know, I... I was advised to use it during pregnancies. It really helps with fatigue. And it's just the best boost for anyone with anemic blood or iron poor blood. So you can do that in the spring, in the early spring when the curly tops are just starting to come out. You can go out and dig out the roots. Um, You know, we always advise during a waning or waxing or new moon. The power is more in the roots than in the above ground plant. And you can also eat those greens, adding them to stews and um, soups and even, you know, just as a spinach, side spinach, a wild spinach. But you do have to pour out the water one or two times and, you know, really get all of those oxalic acids out. I always have trouble with that word. And it will be less sour each time you drain off the water. But it's just a wonderful plant to revive you in the spring. Do you bother to blanch it and then store it in baggies at all, or is it something you just prepare fresh? Um, no, I've never frozen it. I usually eat it up within a day or two. <laughs> but, so. you know, I wouldn't be adverse to doing that for, you know, using 
in the later fall and winter months. And I've read there where, and, and it's true that once you do cook it um, and, and cook it as a spring green or whatever, it, it has more of a khaki color than a than a dark green color, right? It kind of loses that, yes, that green it luster. Yes, it's like a camouflage pants color yeah <laughs> i love it yeah and uh yeah i can't think we i don't think we've blanched any either but uh okay so kay's got this recipe in her book of, uh, using sour dock leaves and she said wait until the leaves get big and strapping and and go from plant to plant and sample it because she claims not all sour docks taste the same some taste better than others and i don't know if you found that um well i have found that some i chew on are like wow you know that's really sour so yes i would agree with her in that respect so what she did then is she cut out that midrib so we're talking a leaf people that's probably if you know at least a foot long if not 15 inches or so and she cuts out the midrib and now and and leaves the top of it attached so it's it's uh-huh. basically a a roll now and then she would actually rolled sausage links in it and put it in a 9 by 13 cover it with some broth Ooh. and and cooked it and those leaves just kind of wrapped around the sausage right and uh yeah. you have a, almost like a grape uh, grape leaf wrap so i'm curious the vegetarian version why couldn't you do this uh, cook up some sticky rice with a bunch of good sautéed vegetables inside, maybe put in some oyster mushrooms in that mix. Roll them up. Roll them up in the sour dock leaves and do the same thing. Put them in a 9 by 13, cover it with a little vegetable broth, and boom. So that is, I, that's on our wish list. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to get that done this year. <laughs> yes, and like, also some, um, just medicinally, I want to mention that, yeah. that, that that goop, you know, the way you talked about cutting out that rib it's much like you do when you're cooking large leaves of kale take that rib out Mm -hmm. um but you know in that stem is a goopy mucilaginous paste juice that is really good again for bug bites or insect or wounds and also as a cure for nettle sting there's an old english you know poem that people used to say uh nettle out dock in dock remove the nettle sting is often quoted in herbal books as going way back as a remedy for when you're picking and harvesting that nettle when you get stung, usually right alongside the nettle is growing dock. Or you could just tell the person that's suffering, suck it up. That's medicine getting <laughs> pumped into your body. You know, it's like that. That's exactly. getting your blood. That's getting your blood flowing. Well, it that's hurts. <laughs> it hurts though. Well, it's going to be over in five minutes. And uh, so anyway, that that yeah, that that juice, uh, that that slimy juice that comes out. And all you got to do is cut a stem, folks, and kind of squeeze that stem, and you'll see it kind of looks like cow slobbers uh, coming out of the stem. Yeah. And, and and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's also kind of used as a remedy for poison ivy, too, or is it? Yes. Okay. Yes. It helps to dry it and, again, to relieve the itch and sting. Yep. Yes. And, you know, you can also make a tea with the leaves and then use mm. that with a cotton ball to wash on poison ivy or nettle stings or uh-huh. other stings. Are you saying I could make the tea and then remove the leaf and you just have that mucilaginous juice in the water that, that is storable and, and well, stable? Well, the water's watery. It doesn't really get mucilaginous, but you can use those leaves as a poultice on anything that you uh-huh. want to dry up from eczema to rosacea to, you know, poison ivy. I see. And um, hives, it's soothing for. And, you know, just have it stored for about a week to use in that respect. And you can also drink it as it works its way from the inside out to help heal anything wrong with the skin and blood. 
Well, we have it a... It doesn't taste very good, though. <laughs> we have a yellow dock tincture at home from the root, and uh, thanks to you, because um, I, I would have had no idea the power of that medicine, and it's, it's one of my uh, daily tinctures, and... Uh, yes, it's safe to take daily. Yeah, yeah and that's that's basically what I do, uh, an eyedropper full in the morning, an eyedropper full at, at night, and uh, I mainly do... When people say, well, what are you doing it for? And I'm like, well, I don't know, it's high in iron, um, it, exactly. good for me, it coats and soothes and relieves, and and it, and people that have tried it, I mean, it's funky, people. First of all, it's very dark. I mean, it's almost like brownish black in color. So it, it kind of freaks people yes. out, I think, when they're trying it for the first time. But I've had people say, oh, you know, that's that's pretty tasty. It's kind of like, um, you know, earthy, if you will. <laughs> right? Tastes like dirt. Yeah, no, it's not quite like that. But but no, it's very earthy. And, and that yellow root, you know, once you peel it like you... Uh, like you talked about and Maggie peeling it, you know, and like that dark skin and then peeling it to reveal that underbelly, that uh, beautiful yellow color, that color of the root is just really cool. It is. It's beautiful. And it's also good for cleaning out the intestines and for constipation and nausea and diarrhea and vomiting. You know, it's very good as an intestinal medicine as well. And plants that are mucilaginous or mucilaginous like that, uh, right? Coat, soothe, and relieve your digestive tract, right? And, and that's mm-hmm. just like aloe vera would, folks. So it's got it's probably got more power than aloe. So there you go. So learn the plant story Yellow Duck has to tell you because it's it. We spend millions of dollars to eradicate Sour Duck, and Sour Duck just shrugs its shoulders and says, "Are have mm-hmm. you have you humans given up yet?" Because you ain't going to take yeah, and, me out. Yeah, so. and then in the fall and summer when, you know, those big bunches of brown seed, they're related to buckwheat, you know, the triangulated beautiful brown seeds are a survival food and a foraging food and can be used in soups and broths. And again, another way to get a lot of iron into your blood later in the season. Too cool. And you can also dig those roots when the plant dies back in the fall and before, you know, or just after a freeze. And the, the first year roots are more tender. The second year roots are often just used, you know, for making tinctures and medicines. Those gotcha. first year roots you can eat more and add more to soup. Oh, okay, that's good to know. Yeah, them with other vegetables. And if you harvest the seeds, then you're going to control the spread. You see, and uh, you know, yes. uh, so it, it won't move around all over the place and become a nuisance. And, and if I have lots of those seeds, I make little pillows for my cats and they love them. <laughs> no kidding. That's cool. So like instead of buckwheat pillows, they have dock seeds. I love it. All right. Well, um, I'm looking up at the clock and I'm like going, yeah, you're past due, Bobby. All right. So I'm out of time here, Barbara, in this fastest hour on radio. But we covered ev- just about everything. We were going to, I was going to have you read that excerpt from uh, Doc and Chives, but uh, you more or less uh, hit, hit that on the nose, I think, right? Uh, yes. And the books will be coming out soon. So you can read them then. And it's been so much fun to be back on the air with you, Pop. Yeah, Happy you too. Spring. Yeah. Happy spring to you, Barbara, and keep up the great work and uh, hope you have fun keep there. Up the- rain prayer. Right. (laughs) All right, Barbara, you take care.